Welcome to the Sanctuary First podcast. I'm James Cathcart. Today I'm sharing with you a conversation I had with Gardner and Gardner, artists who are working in a new pioneer ministry in Glasgow. As our theme at Sanctuary First this month is Holy Endings, I wanted to talk to them about the conclusion of their interactive art piece, The Peacemaker's Loom. The Peacemaker's Loom is a 1.7 metre in diameter um, circle of plywood, layered plywood, with 35 wooden pegs attached to the top of it. And it sits on a metre-high frame of dowling wood, and it's held together with sisal string. Um, it's a beautiful object, and on it, we, um, for the last three years, we have been knitting donated wool. Um, it's like a French knitting, like the kind of French knitting your granny or my granny would have taught me when I was a child, only much bigger scale. So we have knitted on it for three years, three and a half years. It started for the Commonwealth Games in oh, July Nine, 2014. 2014. July, July 2014. 2014 it started. So from July 2014 through till now, two days, three days, one day a week. The idea first came to make the loom. I was grappling with or trying to work out how to create a process that would help people coming into the church engage with peacemaking. And I was struggling with that and I tried a few iterations and it was at the time where there was a a lot of news about invasions and wars and Ukraine and Syria and I felt very helpless. So I was looking for some kind of action or some sort of words to be able to say that people could come in and be part of. And so we grew up, developed this idea. The tagline we had is peacemakers... um, Peace is made by small actions and kind words. And I thought of that as a repeating process, so something that we could build up as a habit in our lives of small actions of kindness and words of kindness to other people. So there was something we could do and we could gather around the loom and in the small actions of knitting and in the words that we heard and shared with one another, we could start to make peace for individuals and from that across the world. And uh, it came to a close this just last Friday. We finished the final knitting. We'd actually knitted through um, quantities of wool. We never measured the quantities of wool. We measured, we knitted through, I don't know, 50 kilograms, 100 kilograms. We haven't worked out of wool and rolled it all up into a huge ball of wool that was the up to our, up to our waists. In, in, in diameter, enormous ball of wool, and over the last week, we have then re-knitted that through the loom, and uh, has produced the most wonderful, wonderful process of uh, of knitting something that was already knitted. So peacemaking is often like that, isn't it? But re-knitting something that has already been knitted and making a new process. I remember seeing an article recently. Uh, with the sort of thrifty knitting tips and one of the tips was that you take like an old jumper that's starting to run and you sort of yank it you sort of accelerate the process of its <laughs> deterioration uh, and then knit it into something new um, but what did it feel like um, emotionally you know so there's the difference between thinking through the idea okay we're going to re-knit this ball of wool but then physically when you're actually moving the mm. wool around the pegs mm. what did that 
feel like emotionally? It was a very, very moving experience. Um, I knew it would be, but um, I think it was the idea of physically handling wool that tens of thousands of mainly strangers who had come in off the street, the door of the church lay open, and re-handling that wool just brought back so many conversations. Mm. Um, And it was a lovely, lovely thing. It was a lovely thing. So much of this project has felt like it was a gift, and the re-knitting was like another gift. You could speak a little to to the idea of how important the physical interactivity is as part of the experience of the loom, you know, as opposed to something that you just witness or see that is something mm-hmm. that you're engaged with. Mm-hmm. Um, was that kind of a very important part of the? Initially, the, the the first knitting through the loom was actually a very gentle process. It was very light, with single strands of wool and large pegs, and standing beside someone as they learnt how to do this, which was very simple. You could see for them it was just an important thing. For me, the the, the process of re-knitting um, was quite a nerve-wracking process to begin with because I didn't know if it would work. Um, and often when you change from one familiar process to another, even if we're using an echo of the process, so it was the same stitch, but the wool was now a factor of 35 thicker. Mm. Um, and it was really quite a physical thing to mm. take the wool over and f- to handle the wool and force it to begin with till we got all the tension right. And it's a, it was a learning process of learning to do something that was very familiar, but doing it in a completely different way. Mm. And so that change took a while physically to learn. Mm. And there was one point in the middle of the week as I was, I was doing this, I got into the rhythm, a new rhythm. It replaced the old rhythm of how you would move your hands and how you would loosen the tension of the wool and then lift it over the pegs as, a, as you formed the knitting. And it became a really peaceful moment. And mm. it felt as if I'd moved into a different rhythm than the previous rhythm, but it was a really gentle, peaceful, prayerful moment. And uh, I was... As we had done year, in the previous years, I found myself praying. Just as I physically went through the action, even if it was much more strenuous and uh, even the muscles were starting to ache, it was, it was a very peaceful moment. Mm. I didn't expect that. And discovering that again was another one of his many gifts. Mm. Discovering that uh, you can go for something that's similar but very different to what was there before and find the same peace. Amazing. Amazing. Have you ever had a similar process in the art um, that you've made in the past where you have revisited something um, and not just carried on the same idea or used similar materials, but you're literally transforming the same piece that was perhaps in some sense finished and then you've come back to it and, and done it again? I'm just It strikes me as such a, a unique sort of thing that you're describing, I'm not sure. We've always aimed in our art practice um, to make pieces which are temporary and up till now a lot of our work has been done in church buildings and church sanctuaries and often within churches people will put things up whether it be a banner or, or something of that nature 
and it will be up for a very, very long time. And um, this is a, a personal belief. I think often what happens is people stop seeing it. So the nature of our work is temporary. And so often pieces are only up for an incredibly short time. Sometimes they're literally only up for a day. We never intended the Peacemaker's Loom to last for the length of time it did. We we made it for, as Peter said, the Commonwealth Games, and we only intended it to be up for the duration of the Games. But we realised that uh, what had started as an art project had become something very, very different, and it had become something we had not expected. It had become a listening post, and it had become a place where we could offer to pray for people. Each day that door was open, we had no idea who was going to come through the door. Because that's the whole point. You open a door and you have no idea who's going to come through. And um, we would always pray before we opened the door. And there was just a sense that that God sent folk. And I can't explain that. Um, but that, that was how it happened. And because of that... Um, no two days were ever the same. And so although the beginning and the ending were similar, they were very different. And they were, as Peter said, physically, the process was very different. And I think like a lot of endings in life, you're really fortunate if you're able to have a good ending. And we felt that we had a good ending. And we've, I certainly felt, you know, even just conversations I had with people just in those last five days, um, I felt very privileged to have them. Throughout the society you were saying, it felt like people came, not never inviting, they just came. And God brought them in, that was the feeling. So there, although it was an ending, there was something consistent through all the different stages of the Peacemaker's Loom, um, that it was always a gift. And there was a generous gift from God. The idea was a gift, the wood was a gift... The will was all given. The people that came were gifts. And right at the end, these same things were true. Um, we needed help to roll it up. And some people came in. Just the perfect number of people came in to help us finally roll the piece out. And that made me think of, although some things begin and some things end, there are kind of echoes that are consistent. Uh, Aris Thomas wrote a book of poetry called The Echoes Return Slow. And I often think that's what endings are like when the echoes return of the beginning of it mm-hmm. again. And that's what the piece felt like. It was that kind of reflective um, ending that was just as gifted as the beginning. It's funny, you know, with you saying about the uh, thicker strands um, being harder to... You know, it's like <laughs> yes. the echoes slowly returning. Yeah. And I was thinking about kind of memories building up and how... You know, when you're living through something, um, it's sort of perhaps like that first thread that was being wound around and you're skipping around the pegs. But then when you're coming back to those memories, there's so many more layers. And I think my understanding is that so much of our memories uh, are have to be created. You know, our brains sort of remember a certain pattern of what happened, but we have to add layers to it, which is what makes memory such a fascinating and um, strange thing is that we need to... um, sort of recall certain points and then we construct mm-hmm. that memory. So the idea that you're coming back around, you know, through perhaps another mm-hmm. stage in your life um, that has passed, but you're coming back around again and it's all these layers. 
I was just thinking about the wool, you know, because you mentioned how it was mm. donated, yeah. and uh, I was wondering whether that was always the plan to to use wool that that would come through happenstance, or whether that kind of just ended up. You know, you're there with the loom and suddenly thought, oh, we don't have any wolves. <laughs> yeah, this I would say it was more like that. James, we're not great planners. We're not, we're, we didn't plan what to do. We just started. And because we thought we were doing it for two weeks, we had enough wool, we thought, for doing it for two weeks. But uh, the wool never ran out. Well, we used to, I used to say that the, the wool basket was like manna. It got low, but it never ran out. And... It seemed to come from all different places, didn't it? Somebody had a relative who worked for a, a publishing company who did knitting magazines and they had all these tiny wee 25 gram balls which really aren't a lot of use to a lot of people but we were really grateful to get them. And One of them, one of them was, I remember clearly a, a group, two, two women who'd come from... Somewhere in the states, either um, Vermont or, or, or Texas, can't remember. Um, when they went back and spoke about the loom to their craft group, they then sent us wool from US that came through lots of uh, airport security, ripped open twice. The, the American security didn't, didn't like the idea of this big bag of wool, nor did the the British airport security um, so when it finally got to us it was well opened by everybody else <laughs> and, and all it was was yeah. a bag with some lovely photos and then um, telling of their appreciation of knitting at the loom and also wanting to give something back and that was the kind of story that was repeated over mm-hmm. and over mm-hmm. of people giving us something and folk turning up at the open door of the church with a bag of wool um, because they'd been in two weeks before or Somebody else had said to them they'd been in and they had this extra wool. Amazing. We came across a, a section that was a band of red, a band of blue and a band of white. Mm. And it brought back a memory, um, um, I'm now unsure time-wise when it was, but when these horrendous terrorist attacks took place in Paris. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we often would get... Um, folk in who worked for airlines and there was a, a, a woman who came in who um, she was a part of a cabin crew team and she was from Paris and she was just heartbroken it was you know it was her city and um, she knew those streets and she the doing a stitch doing a few stitches doing a circle on the loom seemed to really help her and we offered to pray with her and for her and for Paris when she was there, and we did that. And when she went, I realised in the in the wool basket there was a little red ball, a little white ball, and a little blue ball. So, not saying it to anybody else other than the lady who happened to be with me at the loom, we thought we will put this on just as a memory of the tricolour, and I had forgotten about that. And it was a lovely memory to have my hands run through those three colours of wool and remember that woman and remember her story. And that is, in a way, that's why, although it is an ending, it's like you said before about memory, You know, so many of these stories will stay with us and will stay with all the folk who facilitated the loom over those three and a half years. 
you realise that, you know, you meet these people from all over the world and that was partly what the gift was. It was it was being able to give the gift of hospitality to strangers. I think also there's the whole sense of memory when something is ending. Um, it wasn't... We, our practice is taught together, Heidi and I, um, but more than that, there was a whole group of other people who listened at the loom um, the peacemakers, as I started to call them, or to me they became known as. Um, and uh, towards the end, been able to share those memories. So, recounting to one another, do you remember that piece of wool? That was the, when we made the tricolor uh, in red, white and blue. Or do you remember the wool that the pilot brought from Vermont? Or, oh, I remember that colour. And, and I think what's often that's what's good about a a well-celebrated ending is that you can positively say, wasn't this good? And look back through the good things. So you're not just remembering deeply moving, positive moments. You're also remembering some of the quirky things and some of the more difficult things. Um, but it was lovely to be able to talk about those things oh, to each other. Yeah, and, absolutely. And we shared that memory yeah. as a wee community. And because other people would look at things and, and notice something that I would totally miss. And they become the grateful, I become the grateful recipient of their memories. So that was a, a lovely way of celebrating an ending. We discovered that listening matters more than telling. And that felt quite a radical statement for a church project, for most church projects or church outreaches are about telling. And this was, we just listened and offered to pray. And that changed for me the way I worked with this. Uh, as I was standing working through the loom, I was able to, at the end, the re-knit process, I could think back through how I have changed from being someone who felt that outreach was about sharing something as opposed to outreach was about listening to what God is doing already and helping people find in their own articulation of that, what God is already doing. And so I also remembered how I had changed over those three years, three and a half years, which was for me a very powerful thing. Um, and all these thick lengths of yarn, of wool, were part of that rediscovery. Opening the door of that church has made me probably quite radical about opening the door of lots of churches, given half a chance. It's a very simple thing to do, but I don't think I'd realised quite how countercultural it is. Um, people seem to be so fearful of... How would you say? The dangers. Well, I guess, risks. yeah, the, the risks, the risks, yeah. Um, of whether it's of stuff getting stolen or things, you know, graffiti or, or just things that are difficult. And that was not our experience at all of an open door. It was the complete opposite mm. Um, and I suppose that's why we feel it has given us so much more than we've given it. When we closed the door finally, um, one of the volunteers in the church who's been through the project, much part of the project as we are, um, she closed us out. She she closed the door. I was very grateful for that because I would have found it very hard to actually close the door from the inside. And just seeing the door closed from the outside made me realise the project is finished in that place 
and there was a mixture of sadness of seeing the door closed, mm. Mm. Uh, hope that the door would be reopened for something else, mm-hmm. so that there would mm. still be that open welcome, and a wonder of where this project will be led to next. When you said about the uh, volunteer who was closing the door, I was thinking, perhaps slightly tongue-in-cheek, but the idea of that being a gift that people could have to be closers. (laughs) There are are times in our lives where we can't push the button, where we can't, you know, and perhaps there are times we need to, at Sanctuary First this month, we're talking about holy endings, um, and there are perhaps times where we need to help others to end. You know, sometimes maybe it's not it isn't in your power to bring something to an end and actually the sort of next best thing or not even the next best thing maybe the best thing for you to do is to let go and allow someone else to to close and the thing that really struck me as well was this idea that the artwork wasn't finished when people were meeting it you know because we're talking a lot about endings mm-hmm. at the moment yeah. and so people were encountering something that wasn't finished yeah. that required their involvement yeah. and that strikes me as a really powerful way of thinking about church and you said earlier about how um the listening being as important or more important in in many cases rather than saying something and i think you could argue that many churches have been places where we hear a final message we hear a final word mm-hmm. and we bring our broken and not concluded and sort of messy lives to this very solid thing and how actually as you mentioned before earlier Heidi with the sort of radical nature of this of saying we're actually offering you something we're presenting something which isn't finished Mm -hmm. and so your role can be to come and actually bring some order to what we're doing Mm -hmm. as a community. We now are working out of a studio in an arts complex and our studio has an open door um, and sometimes that's quite difficult because sometimes it's incredibly cold and we just have to, like we did at the loom, we just have to put on an extra thermal vest and an extra cardigan. <laughs> um, but certainly in, in the complex we work in, um, most artists work behind a closed door and we wanted to, to make a statement um, in a quiet way that our door is open and if if folk need to come through that door for any reason, we don't want them to feel they're interrupting us. Um, you know, part of as as well as continuing with our own arts practice, part of what we're doing is being a support for artists. Um, so the open door at the Loom has had a huge effect on what we are doing now, and I think we'll continue to. Well, yeah, definitely will. I think now that my role as an artist and as a pioneer minister over-layered onto each other um, I think often in churches we're afraid of going out of, we call it pioneering everyone's a pioneer we're all, we're all on the edge of a new path and breaking a new path no matter who we are and sometimes you have to end something in order to start something new And speaking of endings, it is now time to finish this episode of the Sanctuary First podcast. Thanks to Gardner and Gardner for sharing these wonderful insights into their work and discussing how to end things well. Do go on to www.sanctuaryfirst.org.uk and look up our themes for more information about holy endings. Thanks for listening, and I'll now pass back to Peter for a final word. For me, it revitalised that sense of we live in a God-infused world. 
and we walk on a Christ-led path so that wherever we go, God has already been. When we listen to people's stories, the tens of thousands of people who came through, there was a sense that God is already in their story and all our role was was to listen to it being opened up and told. And people hearing God speak to them through their own voices was the most amazing thing, as they would tell that. But also underlined for me time and time again that God is infused in the whole project. It's okay to end something because God has not ended. And it's okay to move on to something new because God is already there.